At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. Keeper Live Show, the live show for cryptids and their keepers. That's us. And if you are here tonight in the Windy City, that's you too. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And we could not be more tickled to be sitting here in this theater with all of you tonight. It is a little difficult to see you because of the way that I have to sort of lean over this microphone, but... A lot of familiar faces or semi-familiar faces that I recognize primarily from Twitter avatars. Thank you so much for taking selfies. Those are way more helpful than fan art. Gonna say, very shocked to see that not all of you are actually anime characters. A little bit disappointed. It's fine. We'll move past. I could have sworn Goku was gonna be here. Naruto, <laughs> mm. well, anyway. are you here? <laughs> Well, I just flew in yesterday from Washington, D.C., and man, is that joke tired. <laughs> so, uh, again, thank you for being here. We have a few different things we're going to get to do tonight. We have some listener stories. Some of them are from folks who are actually here in the audience, which is mondo exciting. Um, so if you submitted one to us, we will probably get to it. Feel free to hoop and holler and let us know if we pronounce your name incorrectly. Please, we're right here. We're in punching distance, but don't punch. <laughs> but before we can do that, we have to address a bit of an elephant in the room. And by room, I mean Chicago, and by elephant, I mean the supposed Mothman. <laughs> hmm. Are we going to talk about this? <laughs> okay, so... I am going to take a bit of a tonal departure from the show's usual format. I know, I know, hold your applause. And I'm going to have to do something that I never thought I would have to do. I am going to disprove the Mothman. I know, I know, listen. But I'm going to do it for a very noble cause. In defense of the real Mothman. <laughs> we cannot allow this transgression to stand. So, let's go first to a uh, source here from mufon.com. That stands for the Mutual UFO Network. <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> By Roger Marsh, who in April 27th of 2017 says to us, Mothman-type creature reported over Chicago. First of all, not a particularly convincing headline. Mothman adjacent. Yeah, pick a story and stick to it. Mothman inspired. If you're going to make a stance that bold, really make it. You know, at least then I can respect that you're wrong. <laughs> a Mothman-type creature is being reported in Chicago by three separate witnesses over, over a four-hour period, which is, to be fair, statistically interesting. <laughs> took place between 10 p.m. on April 15th, 2017, and 2 a.m. on April 16th, 2017. So like a while ago, we, technology has improved since then. <laughs> Please beware of all case details until an investigation is complete. At, at this point in the investigation, a hoax cannot be ruled out. So there you have it. <laughs> in case 83325, the witness was out on Lake Michigan with her husband and two other couples celebrating a friend's birthday. I think we all know what that means. 
What does that For mean? For the sake of the children, oh. I will refrain from mentioning any beverages that are not maybe age appropriate. <laughs> We were about two miles out on the lake just off of Montrose at about 10 p.m. The witness stated we were enjoying ourselves when I happened to look up and saw what looked like a giant bat. And not like a fox bat, which I looked up and saw was the biggest bat. (laughs) It's called a flying fox, but close. This bat was as tall as my husband to his six foot four inches or even bigger. Witness doesn't even know how big her husband is, my friends. I don't feel like that's a perspective I can really rely on for my cryptozoological news. I don't like it. I don't yeah. trust it. Also, like, weird to assume that's the Mothman. Am I right? There are other large winged cryptids that you could choose from instead of besmirching my good name. There are... <laughs> yes, yours and yours alone. It was solid black with eyes that seemed to reflect the moonlight. Okay, Mothman's eyes are red. Thank you very much. The bat was blacker than the surrounding night sky and was perfectly silhouetted against the moonlit sky. The bat, again, bat, not Mothman. So thank you for that, witness. Circled the boat three times in complete silence before heading off towards Montrose. It quickly blended into the night sky and was gone in seconds. I don't think this is a particularly compelling case. I might be willing to entertain an argument, but you know what, I'm just for the sake of being a fair judge, I'm going to go ahead and read a couple of other supposed eyewitness accounts okay. of the Chicago something. <laughs> Batman? No, that's taken. All right. I do think that's a different thing, yes. Okay. Uh, let's see, the third report, case 83206, occurred at 2 a.m. on April 16th, 2017. I arrived for work at 2 a.m. at the Chicago International Produce Market just off Damon, and as I walked across the parking lot, a bunch of guys, four to five guys, were staring up at the sky, the witness stated. I looked up and saw the biggest freaking owl I have ever seen. Oh, we're back to owls again, huh? <laughs> it's owls. It's every time it's owls. I'm so tired. I have been told they're not what they seem. <laughs> I am six foot two inches, and I'm guessing this thing was at least a foot taller than me. It was completely black except for having bright yellowish reddit, reddish eyes like a cat. So orange. So There's orange. a color. There's a color. Is, we have a color. Is what that means, yes. <laughs> like a cat. You know how cats have yellow or red eyes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it stood there for a minute or two staring at everyone before shooting up into the sky and disappearing. It made everyone feel very uneasy and only took off after some guys threw some rocks at it. <laughs> how many times do I have to give this speech on this very show? <laughs> now listen. I may not agree conceptually with the Chicago Mothman, but please don't throw rocks. I really thought that was going a different direction. For one thing, there were four or five guys there. (laughs) Uh, Took off after some guys threw some rocks at it. It had wings on it like an owl. Again, there is a literal owl man. I don't know why you have to steal somebody else's thunder. Mm, This article does then go on to say that the Mothman creature, correctly, comes from West Virginia folklore, which, again, like, please look up another cryptid. There are other options you had to choose from. (laughs) A legendary creature reportedly seen in the Point Pleasant... Okay, well, it was... Like, it was seen in the Point Pleasant area. No, I know. We've been to the museum. Like, it was seen there, though. I know. It's okay. I don't know why people have to... Okay. We're done with this one. (laughs) Well, anyway, yeah, no, it's fine. I have some other choices. We we just got to sort of power through here. All right. Um, Here's another article from Vice. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, notably reliable news uh, yeah, source. Voice, thanks. Uh, people keep seeing the Mothman in Chicago. What's the deal? That's what I'd like to know, Josh Terry. <laughs> Uh, this one takes a slightly more cinematic tone, which, again, I appreciate. It was a normal summer night for John Amitron. Uh, John, are you here with us tonight? It's John Amitron. I didn't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> it is a large city. Howard. <laughs> Working a Friday shift as security for Chicago's popular Logan Square hangout, the, the Owl. <laughs> How deep does this go, Alex? Again, again, not a mob. <laughs> but when we went outside, he saw something odd. I saw a plane flying, but also something moving really awkwardly under it. That's kind of a judgment call. <laughs> Some of us move awkwardly, John. It didn't look like a bat so much as what illustrations of pterodactyls look like, with the slenderness of its head and its wing shape. I know what birds and what bats look like. This thing didn't have any feathers or fur, and it didn't fly like anything I've ever seen. Well, I know what mothmen look like, John mm -hmm. Amatrano, and this wasn't one, so. Like, like a pterodactyl, so neither like moth nor man. <laughs> There's a spectrum, and pterodactyl might be somewhere on it, but nowhere near either of those particular No, points. I think not. It flew in a strange swooping motion, undulating up and down. Again, does not sound like a Mothman to me. A large black bat-like being with glow, okay, with glowing red eyes. Well, yeah. Again, that's that's like one one thing, John. Uh, da -da 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 -da, big owl or something that resembled a gothic gargoyle, which. Okay. All right. I, I guess I could see that. You know, I think I'm gonna go to a different source. Uh-huh. <laughs> Are your arms heavy from picking all those cherries? From cherry picking your sources? <laughs> okay, well, that's a very bold thing to say because this next one has 29 sightings in it, so. Oh my God. <laughs> we know you only have like an hour. Right? Yeah, I know, it's okay. fine. I will take as much time as this needs. <laughs> I prepared, okay. August 11th, 2017. From thepatch.com, winked freak terrorizes Chicago. Okay, well, that's, that's mean. That's mean. All right, Jay Jonah Jameson, calm down. When do you get a load of these? 29 sightings. People around the city and suburbs have reported a large flying humanoid, and someone has been tracking the reports. For about a decade, Chicago has been a stand-in for the fictional Gotham City, thanks to Christopher, thanks to Christopher Nolan's Batman film. How old do these people think Batman is? <laughs> yeah, you know how Christopher Nolan invented Batman? Christopher Nolan's beloved character, Batman. So, it makes a certain amount of sense that reports of a winged bat-like creature around the city and even the suburbs would pop up. You know, I hate to say this, I would almost rather believe in the Chicago Mothman than give that much credit to Christopher Nolan. <laughs> the second week in August, there have been nearly 30 sightings of a large flying humanoid in the Chicago area. According to Lon Stickler, who has been tracking these reports on his website, Phantoms and Monsters, and... Okay, we've used Lon Stickler before, though, right? Yeah, we have. We've used Phantoms and Monsters before. They're, like, a frequent, a frequent guest. So that's, like, a fairly reliable source. I mean... I, I mean... Like, like, reliable is... Like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much would you say we kind of need to keep that line of communication open. <laughs> I mean, I've never spoken directly to the man. I don't know him. It's okay to maybe... I don't... Lon, I don't are you here tonight? 
like the amount of authority you're giving me right now. I didn't sign up for any of that. Putting aside the pipe dream that Batman is in Chicago fighting crime, sightings of these kind, a dark winged humanoid with glowing red eyes, have been reported for decades across the country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The most famous so-called Mothman sightings happened in 1966 and, okay, well, wait a second. Again, I don't appreciate this level of skepticality in their article. <laughs> you know, some of these are actually pretty interesting. Yeah? Should we all just sit here quietly while you read them to yourself? Well, I've had a very busy like week and I maybe didn't spend as much time looking over these as I should have. Um, I mean, please, I have nowhere to be, go ahead. <laughs> well, that, okay. I think like one is maybe a fluke, but the 29, I mean, like far be it for me to step on your toes as the resident Mothman expert, but I mean, people do go on vacations. Like, <laughs> how much longer are we in Chicago? Uh, I mean, I don't know why I looked at my phone like it was going to be in like an hour. Um, when do you go home? How long does it take to get to Adler Planetarium? I don't know. Why? <laughs> it's probably nothing. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, we have a lot of listener stories to get to tonight, so... Okay, cool. So I know like, before so, that, uh, you want to yeah. weigh in? You want to weigh in? Final thoughts on the Chicago Mothman? No, you know, I, I was just looking at the time, and I don't think that we really actually, it's interesting it's after already. Interesting. Um, and what would you say if I asked you to give your thoughts on whether or not the Mothman might travel across the country to another city and perhaps be spotted by, uh, I don't know, just a random number 29 people? <laughs> I would say that one or <laughs> two people could probably be wrong. Yeah. Four or five guys might mistake an owl man for a moth man oh, under yeah. certain 100%. circumstances. I would say that 29 people is <laughs> thought provoking. Okay. So uh, maybe maybe like taking the hard line stance and moving it to a bit of a softer line, so to speak. I'm getting a cue that we need to move on. So if oh, you could just... From, from where? Home. <laughs> uh, Fitbit. All right. Okay, cool. So before we get to listener stories, I wanted to just like briefly, briefest of briefs, just a little tasting menu, tapas platter of haunted spots throughout the Chicago area because I love ghosty things and I wanted to know where all the haunted things were. I didn't want to hit the ones everybody talks about. I didn't want to hit on any Al Capone stuff. I didn't want to talk about St. Valentine's Day Massacre because everybody knows about that. It's Chicago. Lots of mob stuff happened. We know. It's fine. <laughs> so basically, wanted to just hit a few little tiny baby ones. First of all, uh, anybody here ever heard of Hull House? Oh my God, perfect, loved it. I had never heard of this before. I'm not gonna go into details, but essentially, cause I've got like seven of these and then we have, then we have all of this over here to get through. But basically there was supposedly a devil baby that lived in this house. It's a haunted house now also supposedly, but there was a devil baby <laughs> that was kept in the house and no one ever saw it. And that's all I have for you. There was a devil baby. Um, so where did the story come from? Then? The story came from, I, thank you for asking. During the summer of 1913, Jane Adams and the residents of the Hull House settlement grappled with an onslaught of visitors who came 
came seeking the devil baby they had heard tell of living in the house. Um, if you'd like to read more of it, Jane Addams actually has some very interesting writing on the subject and kind of where she thinks and thought, not thinks, I don't think she is still alive. It was 1913. She might be very, very, very old. But uh, <laughs> thoughts on kind of how that came about and what people, like what circumstances maybe led to people talking about that. But I didn't want to give absolutely no recognition to the devil baby. I just, it seemed wrong. It seemed like I was inviting misfortune. I, oh, far, I think we should give all sorts of recognition to the devil baby. Yeah, far be it from me to neglect the devil baby. So I also, uh, you know I love a woman in white. You know I love a road ghost, like a uh, hitchhiking ghost. Um, so I have to, I have to talk about Resurrection Mary. Yeah. Is Resurrection Mary here with us tonight? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Resurrection Mary! Uh, No, that would involve, I would have to light some candles, I'd have to get my Ouija board out, it would take, it would be a lot of work. So, uh, Archer Avenue leads motorists past Resurrection Cemetery. This is from the lineup. This is the final resting spot of a young woman killed in the 1930s. Like all good ghost stories, it is just vague enough that it could be true, but not specific enough that anyone can fact check it. Uh, and that is the sweet spot where our podcast comes in. <laughs> Love that ambiguity, baby. Okay, so. Love not fact checking. Mm. So she was first spotted in 1939. A man named Jerry Pollis saw a beautiful young blonde woman in a white dress at a local dance hall dancing together all night he offered the stranger a ride home she directed him down Archer Avenue and I think you know how this story ends they stopped in front of the gates of the cemetery and she vanished before reaching the front gates yes thank you Um, so decades later there are tales of encounters with her that continue Um, there was a report in the suburban trib in 1979 reporter Bill Geist interviewed a man named Ralph for an article titled, yes, I know Ralph's a very funny name, um, <laughs> titled Cryptic Rider Leaves Taxi Driver with the Willies. <laughs> the taxi driver requested that his last name be withheld, though he stuck to his chilling story and he explained he picked up a young woman in a white dress who told him to go down Archer Avenue. Wow, I wonder where this goes. She was very quiet. She remarked that the snows had come early this year. You know, just sort of the vague things that a ghost might say or that you might say to your Lyft driver. And (laughs) then he turned around and she was gone. So basically it's the same story over and over and over again, but she is a woman in white and a vanishing hitchhiker, which are two of my favorite ghost story tropes. And I did not want to leave this space today without giving some cred to Resurrection Mary. (laughs) Yeah, right? That's right, I know. Um, There's also a uh, haunted house in Joliet, um, the Scott Mansion. Yes, okay, cool, perfect. So I won't read this entire article, but there's a piece by Edward Shanahan um, on chicagonow.com who is apparently some sort of psychic. And Edward says that uh, people have had, I just had to bring this up, that people have had some very weird experiences in a room that has all four walls lined with Victorian dolls. (laughs) Well, I know of at least one strange experience. Mm And that's walking into a room with the walls filled entirely with Victorian dolls. And he says, Edward says, this is Edward's words, not mine. I I cannot vouch for the the veracity. He says, um, this may be the reason that during seances I hold in the doll room, (laughs) individuals have felt the presence of children's spirits around them as the room is one I consider a playground for a child's spirit. 
individuals have viewed orbs through their camera screens at night with no flash at all, just looking and watching the orbs through the back of their camera. So if you would like to uh, have some child ghosts whisper to you and see some orbs, I guess that's a good place to go. This is going to go in the like, Time Out Chicago guide. Um, so uh, just a couple more before we move on to the listener stories. Uh, there is a haunted castle in Chicago, uh, the Irish Castle, Beverly Unitarian Fellowship. I, yeah, I was also shocked to find out that there was some sort of castle here. Um, but basically, it's another woman in white dress, another woman in white dress ghost. It's a woman in white. <laughs> I can't talk, which is a great thing for a podcaster. Uh, so in the 1960s, a church custodian, it's a church now, uh, was making her rounds, cleaning up, and she saw a girl in a long white dress standing in one of the rooms. She approached the girl. The girl remarked that the place looked so different since she had lived there. The custodian left the room and then returning, after realizing how strange the remark was, because no one had lived in the castle in over 20 years, found that the ghost had vanished. So haunted castle, also a church, church castle, castle church, check that out. Um, (laughs) There's also ghosts in, wow, what a surprise, a cemetery in Bachelors Grove Cemetery. Yeah, oh wow, I love this. This is so much fun. This is like when comedians start naming cities at their shows. I love Minnesota, too. Okay. So, famous Chicago psychic, uh, which is a great sentence, Ken Melvainberg encountered the ghost of a young boy uh, in this particular cemetery. He and a reporter from the Chicago Tribune visited in 2006 and encountered the spirit of a young boy who was very persistent. They both clearly heard the child's voice crying out to them, oh my God, (laughs) telling them that he had lost a silver coin. Uh, which is a very interesting bit of unfinished business to hang around for. I feel like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that like money doesn't matter in this world, but I feel like if the thing keeping you from eternal paradise or moving on or whatever you think is the afterlife is just one coin, I, it seems strange to me. I don't know what the cost of not living is on that <laughs> side, but... Do we have any security in this building that can remove uh, someone who's disrupting my... Thank you. Um, There's also a very haunted forest. Um, Robinson Woods in Illinois. It comes up when you search haunted Chicago things. I can't vouch for how much it's actually in Chicago. And if there's anything I learned from living in Illinois, it's that people who are from Chicago hate when people call things that are not Chicago, Chicago. (laughs) I know. I know that you don't want us to say Evanston is Chicago. I know that you don't want us to say the suburbs are Chicago. I get it. I know. But I'm not the one who wrote this. Robinson Woods. (laughs) Okay. People have heard the sounds of wood being chopped when there is no one in the forest chopping wood. They have seen weird lights, heard strange sounds, and smelled unexplained smells. <laughs> and that's, that's literally all. That's it. That's the woods. If you Google it, you can find some pictures of the woods, and the people who post those pictures are always like, oh, these are such creepy pictures, and they're just pictures of a forest. It's just a forest. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about some listener stories. <laughs> All right, so our first story comes to us from Carrie. Is it Carrie or Kari? You're here tonight, yes? Hi. How's it going? Sorry to put you on blast like that. I'll move this. Thank you so much for the story. I am obsessed with this one. Okay, Um, okay, so 
a number of years ago, I was in the U.S. Coast Guard. Not me, but <laughs> you got it. Alex, I'm sure we all have feelings about the violent and imperialistic nature of the U.S. military, and so do I. <laughs> Fair. But I was homeless, and at least the main goal was to save lives and less to end them. I'm going to leave dates and names out of this story since I am probably still under my secret security clearance regarding specifics. Thank you. Thank you very much. I would very much like to not be arrested in the middle of my show. <laughs> I was stationed on a ship at the time, and our ship was selected for an operation that would take us across the Pacific into East Asia from Japan to Guam and many places in between. I should think so. <laughs> This story is not about the adventure of world travel, though. It's about something that happened in the open sea. In case that doesn't already send shivers down your spine, the specific place this takes place is the Mariana Trench. Mmm, thalassophobia. For those that don't know, this is the deepest part of the ocean in the world. Nobody knows what's down there. It's terrifying. <laughs> we were on our way from Guam to Hawaii, and the captain decided to spend a day floating above the trench. I hate your captain. <laughs> Well, I found one flaw in your story so far. <laughs> we were with a number of larger ships, and we all had a swim call. That's right, I went swimming in the trench. It was just as scary as you imagine. You are the bravest person in the room. <laughs> you jump from the deck of the ship, in some cases over 60 feet above the surface, and plunge into the water. Sinking deep, you look down, and it goes on forever into blackness. Okay, I need to clarify. I read all of these when assembling them, and hearing it out loud, it just hits different. I'm sorry. This is just the setup. <laughs> this story is not about some huge sea monster coming out of the depths either, though maybe that would have been better. <laughs> Later that night, we began to steam towards Hawaii once more. The sun was fully set, and it was a beautiful star-filled night at sea, the closest land hundreds of miles away. As it happens, I was on lookout. Now, when you stand lookout on a ship, you go in teams. One is on top of the ship in the crow's nest, one on the helm, and one is doing rounds, checking gauges, and helping with navigation. I'm sure everyone from Campaign Skyjacks can tell us more about that in totally accurate detail. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they all took certification courses, you know, to do their podcast about sky pirates. Oh, 100%. It started when I was in the crow's nest. There was a contact on the horizon. As is standard procedure, I called down to the helm where the captain was still hanging out and gave them a heads up. One white light at eight knots, horizon 90 degrees. That is to say, it was night in front of us as far as we could see. Right in front right of us. Right in front of us as far as we could see. It probably was also night, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Again, we were hundreds of miles away from anything. The captain hailed to the other ships in the fleet around us. They saw it too. Nobody knew what it was. What was stranger, it didn't show up on radar, sonar, or any other electronic imaging. Only visual. These were U.S. ships, top of the line, and the only way we could detect this thing was with our peepers. <laughs> What's more, it stayed on the horizon. We were full steam, going easily 35 knots, about 40 miles per hour, which, thank you for clarifying, yeah. but it does make it sound a lot less cool, yeah, so thank you leave that out next time. Thank you for the conversion. As a previous episode established, I don't know what knots are. <laughs> And this thing stayed on the horizon. We followed it for an hour, and it just stayed there, seemingly unmoving, but obviously moving. Finally, it was time for me to climb down and take the helm. Up in the crow's nest, I was unaware of anything out of the ordinary. When you're up there, you are alone and removed. Now down here, I could see things were anything but ordinary. <laughs> Once in the bridge, I found the crew working at a feverish pace. Calls were fast and often between the ships in the fleet. I was instructed to stay the course. 
As the helmsman, it was my job to follow that order and keep eyes trained ahead. That didn't stop me from listening, though. I heard a lot of things repeated, such as, unknown, that's not possible, and what the hell. <laughs> Fifteen minutes before I switched around, the thing moved. I guess I should be more specific. The thing had been moving since it was keeping pace with us. When I say it moved, I mean it moved dramatically. For almost two hours now, it was at 90 degrees on the horizon, dead ahead. Now, and so fast we couldn't see it move, it was at 45. Still on the horizon, the light traveled four miles in the blink of an eye. It did it again, this time to the left, then again to the center. It did this every couple of minutes, just flashing back and forth, but always on the horizon. I heard my relief come to the bridge, sign in, and begin briefing with the officer on watch. He approached to take the helm, and I had just begun to point the light out when it flashed again. But instead of along the horizon, it went up. I mean way up. If it wasn't such a clear night, it would have been in the clouds. I was glad to hand off the helm and make my way down for rounds. I was below for about a half an hour checking logs and reading gauges when the general quarters call went out. General quarters means everyone up and get a gun a gun, by the way. The term battleship was just made up for the movies. It's really called general quarters. I was assigned to the forward magazine, which is where the ammo was stored. I was near there already, so I made my way, expecting people to begin flooding in to arm their stations, but just as quickly as the alarm started, it ended. Return to stations. I didn't find out what happened until the next day. Apparently, while I was below, the light came back. Let me rephrase that. It didn't go back to the horizon. It came to the ship. Each one individually. It descended at an instant speed to hover about 100 feet above each ship. A massive ball of light. It spent no more than a few seconds hovering above each ship before it streaked straight up into the night sky and was gone. That should be the end of the story, but it's not. <laughs> the next day, people started getting sick. Everyone who saw it up close. The lookout, everyone on the bridge, including the captain, the same on the other ships. Nausea, vomiting, feeling lightheaded, and visions of flashing lights keeping them from sleep. It lasted weeks. Eventually, once we got close enough to land, they choppered in investigators in black suits. I got questioned, but since I was below when it happened, they finished with me quickly. Everyone else was quarantined. Some left the ship and never came back. We were told not to talk about it. We were told the official story was a meteor shower above the ship and a flu outbreak. Everyone knew that was a lie. <laughs> Uh, this story gets a little bit dark, and so I am actually going to cut it there. Mm. But thank you so much for sharing your story with us. This yeah. will give me nightmares. Yeah. Yeah, so that was just totally like swamp gas, right? Yeah. I, it was an owl. I know, yeah. It was an owl. <laughs> it was an owl uh, followed by swamp gas. If, any, if reading skeptic reports of uh, stories like this taught me anything, it's that everything is an owl or swamp gas. So that actually does scare me very much. Uh, what, using humor to deflect fear? I would never. Okay. So uh, another one comes from a person who I believe told us they would be here tonight. Um, Teresa? Teresa, hello! <laughs> okay. So this is a sort of boogeyman night hag adjacent story, friends. Okay, so this was sent with your sister's permission. She told me this in the middle of listening to your boogeyman episode. Addison had talked about the night hag, 
and was like, that's real. I've seen her. And then she told me her story. That's a, I, it's always a good start. It's always a start that gets me excited. This happened last year back when she was living with my father as his caretaker. She had decided to take a nap and my dad was in the living room watching Ghost Hunters, which is, mm, I love that timing. It was a pretty small apartment, so they were usually in earshot of each other. She remembers coming out of her body, seeing herself laying down and sitting directly on her chest was a little old lady. She tried to speak or move, even tried praying, but the presence wouldn't let her say God. She remembers being terrified and the only thing that seemed to break the hag's hold on her was my father calling to her from the living room. She still gets freaked out by the memory and the most disturbing thing she remembers is the night hag had no eyes. I'm just glad she's okay. I honestly can't imagine the fear she went through. Anyway, it's not a super long story, but I felt it might be an interesting story for the next Listener Stories episode. Yeah. (laughs) At the risk of sounding just the most sacrilegious, can we talk about how your dad is stronger than God? (laughs) Look, you're not the one who said it. The night hag's the one who said it. (laughs) Oh, man. This next story... Uh, I don't think the sender is here with us this evening. Uh, Ghost Puppy Liz, are you Ghost here? Ghost Puppy Liz. What a name. Hey, Alex. Yes. I really wish you would, after you read this one, tell everyone what the email subject oh, line was. Oh, I have was. to. I'm okay. obsessed. <laughs> okay. Um, so, first of all, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but the subject line for this email made me like laugh harder than most things I've ever seen in my entire life, which was... And this is amazing. We get really, really phenomenal subject lines on our emails. Oh, yeah. Pretty much nonstop. It's the greatest thing. Mm. This one said, I kicked a ghost puppy. Sad emoticon. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes me read it as, I kicked a ghost puppy. I kicked a ghost puppy. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry, Liz. And ghost puppy. In one of your episodes, it may have been the last listener story episode, Alex said she wanted more stories about animal ghosts for the next one. I think I can help. It was actually me who said that, but thank you. I like the cut of your jib, Liz. A few weeks ago, I was heading back home after shopping. I live in London, and I was crossing a pedestrianized square to get to the tube station. It was a clear, sunny spring day, and it was fairly crowded. Then I stumbled over something solid, but yielding. I grew up with small dogs and cats, and it felt exactly the same as when a living cat or dog got underfoot. (laughs) So I looked down and back a bit, expecting to see a stray cat running away, or a person with a dog, furious that I wasn't looking where I was going, and kicked Fido. There was an unclear, hunched shape on the ground. Not wispy white, but not a shadow beast, either. Like a tiny storm cloud sitting on the ground. As soon as I saw it, it evaporated in about a third of a second. Liz is really specific. (laughs) So it could have been a cat or dog, I'm not sure. Maybe the supernatural panther that is rumored to live in the tube tunnels had kittens. (laughs) I think Liz buried the lead on that one. The babies. I go there every week to shop, and I haven't seen the ghost puppy since. Maybe it's avoiding me. I wouldn't blame it. But it was an accident, and I'm very sorry. (laughs) For your sake, I know that I know I know it would be great for it to be a puppy, but 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 what if it's what if it's kitties? What if it's oh, I would like very much for it not to be a puppy. Please don't kick them. Okay, well I don't want anything to get kicked, but. Have you ever seen, like, panther cups? Okay, sorry. All right. I'm going to get some water. Give me a second. I'm fine. Earlier, I was watching a video of uh, baby lynxes, and I was uh, crying. It's fine. So, uh... 
This is one that I've had for a bit, and I've just been waiting for a listener stories episode to share. Uh, it's one that was sent after I did the Mananangal episode. So this is from Janma, and uh, who is not here, but was kind enough to send this in. Uh, and this is, uh, I'm just going to go right into it. This happened when I was around 8 to 10 years old. There we go. Um, and we had recently moved to an old two-story house we were renting. It was made mostly of wood with wooden windows, and to lock the large double doors, you had to barricade it with a plank of wood. So one night while we were praying the rosary, there was a knock on our window. We were all perplexed because we were on the second floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the only window in that room did not have any trees or a platform near it where someone could reach out and just knock. In the words of John Mulaney, I don't care for that at all. <laughs> We figured it was probably just some bird or a bat or a rat. A rat? Sorry. Mm, you know, a flying rat. And didn't think any more of it. The next night, uh, we were downstairs when something started scratching the wooden... I can't pronounce this word. Is it jalousies? Windows. Yeah, windows. <laughs> it's, that's not what the word is. It's jalousies? I don't know. Um, it might, this might also be a translation thing. Um, in the room we were in. We all got quiet while it scratched the window, thinking it was another animal. We didn't think any more of it after it stopped. We were in a rural area. It was probably just some really large rat. I would be worried about a really large rat that's that persistent, but I understand. It's fine. On the third night, where I and a sibling of mine were sick, if I remember correctly, we were on the second floor when something very large landed on our roof and started scratching it, followed by the sound of very large wings flapping right outside the window. We didn't think it was just rats anymore. <laughs> My mother immediately let us all downstairs, but the flapping and scratching still followed us. We went back upstairs, but it started scratching the windows there too, which was made with galvanized iron sheets, so it was noisy. <laughs> The going up and down the stairs went on for a while, and eventually my mother got pissed because we were scared and couldn't sleep. She was never one to back down from supernatural things trying to scare her, what with her fight-or-flight response and being named after our Babylonian ancestor. So while the wak-wak was still scratching at our roof, she took us downstairs, told us all to stay put in the room, whatever happened, picked up the bolo knife, threw open the large double doors, and shouted at the wak wak to come fight her if it was brave enough to do so. She kept shouting at it to fight her until eventually the scratching and flapping wings stopped and we all managed to get some sleep. The end. She's stronger than your dad. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just, I love your mother. If you're listening to this episode somewhere down the line, please just let her know. Let her know how special I think she is. Hey, can we do an episode on your mom? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. Not an episode. Can we do a movie on your mom? <laughs> oh, my God. All right. That's amazing. I did not read the ones that don't. Oh. belong to me so that was a twist oh a fun treat for alex i love it i love leaving little presents for myself i also love the idea of combating any sort of dark supernatural force by <laughs> demanding it fight you <laughs> i'm not saying that's what i advise i'm just saying that i like it and i admire the moxie <laughs> it's good this next one comes to us from Vanguard Iris, which is an incredible name i may or may not steal for a punk band <laughs> hello pals I'm writing to tell you a story about one of my local creatures who people from my family have had encounters with for a good while. Cool. 
Please forgive me if a lot of this sounds like tourism adverts. I live in a city in a different county now and get quite homesick sometimes. I respect that. Hmm. My home village in England is on the Northumberland Moors. It is a beautiful area and perfect for exploring and walking. And when growing up, my friends and I would spend days out and about on the moors. A number of spooky things happened to us, including an incident where we climbed a fence to get to an ancient monument and found some dead animals taped to trees all around it, but that isn't relevant to the story I'm telling right now. You know. Which is cool, I You know, guess. kid stuff. You know, when you and your friends would go climb up to ancient monuments and see dead animals taped to trees. <laughs> taped is what gets me. <laughs> Like, I wish that weren't the most interesting part of the story, but on a certain level. <laughs> anyway, messed up and possibly supernatural stuff seems to happen in the area is my point. Point made. Mm. Do you live in the village from the Wicker Man? <laughs> if you walk out of the village for about an hour and take the right footpaths, you end up walking past an area we always called the Summer Seats. It has some flat stones that are good to sit on in warm weather, a view of Rugley Burn, and it is an ideal picnic spot. One day, when I and two friends were on our way to somewhere, <laughs> they put that in asterisks. I think it's just that they don't remember where they were going. I don't think it's meant to have an implication somewhere. of some kind. I don't think it's meant to have an insidious undertone. Okay. We detoured to have a lounge on the summer seats. This would probably have been 2004, as I was about 11 at the time. <laughs> Okay. There is a particular lane nearby with high hedges that is a cliche of idyllic, semi-wild English countryside. Twisty, stony path with grass sprouting all over it, thorny hedges, flowering hedges, trailing hedges, wildflower verges with plenty of rose bay willow herb. Okay. <laughs> and with trees all around. No, I want to hear more about the plants. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, let me just tell me more about the willow. Let me just go to the index. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and with trees all around, it's like something out of the Shire. As a result, it can be shadowed even at noon in summertime, which is such an evocative line. It was on this lane, or lane, as we called it, that we saw a humanoid shape up ahead and around the corner. It was taller than my dad, who at the time was about the tallest person I could imagine. Which is, that is such a kid thing to say, and it makes me so happy. Just, that is so real, I think, for a lot of kids. Like, you, you go, oh, what is the biggest person? My dad, that is the biggest man in the whole world. Oh, 100%. <laughs> my dad's 5'7", by the way. <laughs> He's going to hear this and get so mad at me. Okay. <laughs> In fairness, by Shire standards. <laughs> That's true. Pretty tall. Oh my god, he'd be such a tall hobbit. Okay, please. <laughs> uh, and had long arms down past where its knees should be. Knee oh, I don't like that phrasing at all. <laughs> it was hairy all over, like a gorilla, but the hair was black, much longer, and matted. It wasn't facing us... But which I wonder kind of how you knew. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> but there was no mistaking the terrible fear that came over us, and we turned tail and ran like rabbits. There was no way to get off the linen without getting to an opening into a field that was a good way back, though I'm sure it wasn't as far as it seemed. I don't know if it was chasing us or if it even noticed us, but I'm very glad we didn't stop to chat. <laughs> we weren't kids who frightened easily, and the sense of horror that came over us was like something out of a nightmare. 
You know when the actual image isn't scary, but you get a terrible feeling anyway? It was that feeling. I beg to differ about the claim that the image isn't scary, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just kind of like that. Mm. Like, this is kind of like a thing that might happen if you saw something that wasn't scary. But then you were still scared. But then also it was taller than your dad and didn't have knees. Again, let me specify, that is not that tall. <laughs> okay. We went back into the village straight away to tell our parents, and my mom hugged me, and once I was calmer, said that we had seen the hairy man of Ruglyburn. <laughs> and that running away was a sensible response. <laughs> the real superhero of today's episodes is definitely just parental figures. <laughs> Apparently, she and her friends used to see something like that when they were little, but it hadn't done any harm. My older sister refuses to talk about the hairy man at all, and my grandma told me to put a silver coin in my pocket for safety, but didn't seem terribly concerned. <laughs> she and her sisters used to see it when they went out to much the same area, though she has more interesting stories to tell about things like playing cook with water from a different nearby river and hearing sounds of ghostly sword fights while she played there. So she doesn't really care to talk about the hairy man. A lot of buried leads in this story. As far as I have heard, nobody seems to have seen its eyes would like to posit that perhaps it does not have any. We are a fairly superstitious bunch, and it's very possible that we've just been letting our collective imagination run away with us for the better part of a century or more. But if this is only a childish story, I really hope you at least enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Also, before we get to the next one, I want to just bring up, because I love when there's cross-pollination in different kinds of stories, the silver coin, because like we talk about a lot, silver pops up again and again and again all over the place in terms of ways to ward off various and sundry evils. So possible connection to Faelor there. There's just, silver's good for keeping all the bad stuff away. <laughs> Still not a substitute for vaccines. No. No, no, no. It keeps everything away except for measles. Okay. So, uh, up next, this is another one that has a crossover with something I covered in a previous episode, so it's always exciting when I get these. So I'm just going to hop right in. My father was born in Sinaloa, Mexico, and he's seen many things or mysterious things in his life. I always knew he had a lot of accounts with either witches and strange creatures, but he never really shared any of the stories. My father died a couple years ago. I'm very sorry for your loss, uh, so I'll never know, but he did share one account he had with Duendes. Well, I hope you guys enjoy it. My father grew up in La Torone, Sinaloa. It's a very tiny village close to the coastline, but first let me give you some context. On the farmland my grandfather owned in Mexico, there used to be an old wood chipping factory. The factory had to shut down Oh, hey, uh, content warning. Um, the factory had to shut down because a young woman fell into one of the wood chippers. Okay, anyway, um, after the investigation, there was never really a conclusion of what happened. Let's just, I'm just gonna speed, just speed through that. Um, afterwards, the land was sold to my grandfather years later. I still remember the look of terror on his face when he told me this story. My father in his early adulthood would help his father farm the land and uh, on occasion when he would get Tired, he would relax on a swing his father had built on a large tree close to the factory I previously mentioned. The factory was run down, some of the walls had started to break down, enough to where you could see inside. One day, he was working and it was very hot, so he decided to take a break and go sit on the swing. Eventually he started to swing and the higher he got, he started to notice movements through the cracks of the walls in the factory. So he swung higher up to see through one of the windows and see what was inside. 
To his terror, he saw four very small men carrying someone towards one of the wood chippers. He described the duendes as small-looking men with dark eyes and long beards. My father wasn't scared of anything, but this was the one thing I've ever seen him be scared of. He recalled one of the duendes faced his way and smiled at him. He described it as that feeling of looking at one of those paintings where the eyes follow you wherever you move. My father decided to swing up one more time to make sure what he saw was real. In Sinaloa, it can go up to 110 degrees at times, so it's not uncommon to hallucinate something that's not there. But he said that on his next swing up, the one smiling duende was missing, and he saw something running towards the door. He quickly got off the swing and ran home. After he told his father what happened, they went back to investigate, but there was no sign of them. Ever since, he would carry a machete with him in case they showed up again. That was my father's story. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Look, I love my parents, but I'm starting to get pretty pissed that they've never offered to wield a knife and fight off the forces of the supernatural. (laughs) Neither one of them ever. I've met your parents, and I just have to say, like, in full confidence, that would be (laughs) kick-ass. Oh, my God. Gina Peacock wielding machete. Can you even fathom? All right. I would very much like to. (laughs) Uh, That is a hard act to follow. (laughs) Like, I know these were all curated specifically for that purpose, but still. Yeah. Well, I would have given you that one, but I also did the episode on, on those little guys. So oh, I no, I'm very to... glad you did not. Okay, fair. That's fair. What? Oh, okay. All righty. All right, we're nearing toward the end, so we may have to make some sort of diplomatic calls Some executive here, yeah. decisions. Some choices about what we want to... Do you all want a sad ghost dog story? If it's... Yeah, I was going to say it is... Sorry, Greg. Sorry, Greg. (laughs) Tell you what, why don't we do one more short ghost story? Maybe the last one on your list? Um, yeah. You want me to do the last one here? Perfect. Yes. Okay, perfect. This is from Sarah. Um My friend and her husband moved into a house right after they got married. It's worth it to note that my friend was raised strictly Catholic, and Catholics don't mess around when it comes to ghosts or demons. That is an understatement. Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, since the Catholic Church still does exorcisms. Uh, We live in Colorado, and she won't go anywhere near the Stanley Hotel with me. Fair. I'll just gonna put a pin in that for a future date the Stanley Hotel it's also important that you know they had a chair in the corner of their upstairs bathroom that no one ever really sat in one night during bath time their daughter around two years old this is one of the problems never have children they're gonna see ghosts uh, (laughs) pointed to the chair and said mommy who's that my friend being the smart woman that she is sold the house and moved into a new one within one month And that, my friends, is how you avoid being the next part of the Conjuring franchise. Big kudos to your friend. Smart move. And again, don't have children. They are going to see something creepy, and they will tell you about it. Oh, man. We uh, have a lot of thank yous to get to tonight. We are honestly so, so, so grateful to even be sitting here tonight. It's a testament, really, to everybody in this room to getting us here because there are so many factors that had to fall into place in order for this to happen, and um, not the least among them was people tuning in to a weird radio show that we used to record in Addison's bedroom. (laughs) Radio Um, show, okay. (laughs) But really, I uh, don't think we can put into words just how 
delighted we are to be experiencing this moment and sharing it with everybody who is here tonight. So first of all, a big round of applause to every single one of you just for showing up tonight. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being here. Seriously. Obviously, an enormous thank you as well to Campaign Skyjacks for opening for yes, us. Thank you, Skyjacks. If you are not already listening to Skyjacks, I can only wonder what you thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> but really, you should be checking it out. It is absolutely phenomenal storytelling with some of the most incredible sound design I've ever heard and just some really, really, really remarkably wonderful people. So thank you again, Skyjacks and One Shot Network for joining us out here tonight. It's been an absolute joy to get to explore the city with you guys and to spend a lot of time just sort of seeing what you do and having even more respect for it. On that note, thank you so, so much to James and Mel. You have both been absolute angels. Uh, we, I don't know if you guys noticed, we got pre-show Manny's. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was really cool. <laughs> Uh, they have been an absolute joy to hang out with, not to mention making this entire experience run so, so smoothly for every bit of Patreon funding that we did and for all of the travel that we made happen to get out here. Still, none of it would have come together without them like working tirelessly behind the scenes to help organize this. So thank you for your expertise and for sharing your time with us. We know that you are very busy people, but it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. We would also like to thank some of our regulars, the Lunar Light Studio, for having us on their network. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. this was not a Lunar Light Studio group event, but we hope that there are some in the future. I see at least one of those super rad t-shirts in the audience. Check that out. Yeah, we got a network shirt wrapped in the audience. The Lunar Light Studio recently did a uh, video game stream where we raised over $2,000 for the Pride Center of New Jersey, so that was amazing. <laughs> So, yeah, major thank you to Lunar Light Studios for letting us be a part of that amazing team and take part in such amazing work. Thank you. A huge thank you as well to our audio wizard, Val Patron, who is going to have to wrangle this audio into something listenable. Yeah, Val. Also, uh, it should be mentioned, if you have not seen Val Patron this evening, they are dressed as a fan favorite from the show, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. to say, if you have not seen Val, you have not been looking. <laughs> it's true. And another thank you as well to Andrew Giata, not only for composing our excellent theme music, but for being a superstar on this trip and for helping me out personally in so many ways, but also for just being an incredible set of hands to have here tonight and make this show run smoothly. Thank you so much. Actual angel. Actual angel from above. And lastly, but not leastly, thank you so much to Stage 773 for having us tonight. What a beautiful venue this is. We are so hyped to be here and to mingle with all of you out in the lobby as soon as this is done. We do have to wrap up because we have another show coming in here after us, but a big thank you to them and to our uh, amazing tech person tonight who has been running sound for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh, and honestly, also, I'd like to just extend a massive thank you to anyone who's ever listened to the show, who's ever shared the show, who's ever made a Patreon contribution or anything, because we would truly honestly not be here if people didn't believe in what we're doing for some bizarre reason. And I can't thank any of you enough. 
and uh, get your friends to donate because we want to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> Tell your friends. It's really the, the bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Los Angeles next? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's because I live there or anything. It's just because maybe I live there. You want to take us out? You know, it would be my pleasure, Alex. So, <laughs> as always, friends, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.